Well, at our early service this morning, one of my dear friends there said, wow, you sure are good at making me feel guilty. I said to him, I said, the whole purpose of this talk today was to do exactly the opposite. <laughs> like I said, you do your worst work when you're trying the hardest, I can tell you. If you come away from this talk feeling guilty, you haven't heard it right, okay? So let's have some fun. There's a local uh, teacher, actually she teaches at uh, Nicholas Lockwood's children's school, Thornley Christian School. She said she used to do this great course with Year 12 students. It was put out by Baptist World Aid and it was called The End of Greed. Every lesson looked at a different aspect of consumption, caring about, and particularly from a Christian perspective. So it was about caring about slavery, caring about animals, and one of the lessons was about caring for the environment. She asked the same question to her students um, when she did the course every year. Oh, oh I've had a bit of a way off there, Joe. Thanks. I've got, a, I've got the doodad, so that should be all right. Thanks, Jason. The question was this. When you go to the shops to buy something, how often do you consider the environment when you make a purchase? When you go to the shops to buy something, how often do you consider the environment when you go to make a pur purchase? So on a scale of zero, with zero being I never think about the environment, to 10 which is every purchase, I'm environmentally conscious, where would you rate yourself? And then she said to her to your 12 girls, I want you to be completely honest. I don't want you to circle a number that you think a good person or a Christian person ought to circle. And I don't want you to circle a number you would want to circle if you were that perfect or Christian person. But I want you to circle the number that actually reflects your thoughts and your behaviour day to day. wonder if naught being I never think about it, tens being I think about it almost obsessively, I wonder where you'd circle. Well, let me tell you the results for her in one particular class. Two girls chose five out of ten and it was because of their fashion design course that they'd recently completed where they'd been taught about the waste problems created by what's called fast fashion, which is basically make it, buy it cheap, straight to Vinnie's. Make it, you know, this very cheap, fast fashion. Every other student chose two or below two or below. And in fact, the majority of these Year 12 students at Thornley Christian College chose zero. I never think about the environment when I go shopping. She said her school gave a fair bit of airplay to caring for the environment. There was recycling bins in every classroom. There was student vegetable garden. A permaculture TAFE certificate was on offer and there was a student-led social and environmental concerns committee inside the school. 
She said they had plenty of chapel services and messages from the front about the beauty of God's creation and the importance of being good stewards of it. And even though her evidence was anecdotal, other studies have shown that those results are pretty common. Young people say they care for the environment and they care about it and are worried about climate change and the future of the planet, but actually they don't do anything about it. And I was really... She said she was really surprised by that result. But I don't know about you, I can completely understand it as well because it's really easy to be like that. We're busy people. I mean, here, you know, I've got a staff. I've got a building that I'm trying to keep standing. I'm trying to pastor a community. I'm on boards. And I try, often very badly, to care for people spiritually and pastorally. I've got a family, I've renovated a house and I don't have time to think about the environmental impact of you know, every bit of wood or plaster or whatever I've, I've put up or my fossil fuel guzzling car or my takeaway coffee cup or the layers of plastic on every supermarket product. Have you noticed that? Like everything's laced with plastic. I mean, my, it's, sort of, it's their plastic, not mine. Would they just stop it, please? Because actually, I'm just trying to make it to the end of the day in one piece and get to tomorrow. If I listen to the things I actually, if I listed, I should say, the things I actually feel I have time to care about in the order of priority, it's fairly possible that the environment may come way down further or further down the list than I'd like to admit, probably below washing my car, and that's saying something. I want to care, and I actually do care. I do care, but why ought I to care? Now, I know this won't change anything, folks, but I'll just tell you why we ought to care. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's fascinating, but within our Anglican tradition, we have a thing called the prayer book here, which is a wonderful compendium of prayer and scripture, mostly scripture, to lead services. And in the Thanksgiving, uh, actually the one we'll use today, they're often abbreviated, and this one's been abbreviated out of it, what I'm about to read is, but one of the Thanksgivings for communion says, Loving God, we thank you for this world of wonder and delight. You have given it to us to care for, so that all your creatures may enjoy its bounty. Lord our God, we give you thanks and praise. It's there. Creation is where everything begins. In the beginning, we heard this morning, was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. God made it and he made it incredible. He saw everything he'd made and indeed it was very good. And its majesty and complexity and wonder is like a mirror to us, reflecting the majesty, glory and goodness of God back to us. His eternal power and divine nature has been understood through these things. The riches of scripture on this topic are overwhelming and the amazing thing is that Jesus is so intricately tied up with it. 
wherever you look again, in Jesus, all things have been created. Through him, by him, for him, there's something intricate about the saviour of the world and all of this that has been gifted to us. Creation reflects to its creatures his love, his power, his precision, passion, provision for beauty and our inclusion in it through that relationship that we share with him. And it's wonderful. We live in a place so vast, so complex, so utterly beyond our capacity for scale and complexity that it transcends our capacity to comprehend it. One tree or butterfly or flower is a whole cosmos within itself. Now, I actually know this because I've followed this back hundreds of kilometres down the pathways of the bush of Western Australia. And mostly, this is why it takes us a long time to get anywhere. (laughs) Usually with her little magnifying glass, it's not just once or twice. It's almost endless. (laughs) But wherever you go, the majesty of creation in miniature is being picked out by this person who can see a a tiny orchid from 100 metres away. She can see a whale when no one else can see a whale. And the... Eh? Oh. The majesty of these things is enough when someone who knows what they're looking for and looking at to just propel you into praise. I personally restore in God's creation. It fills me up like my tank. And it's interesting that, you know, we're told our relationship with Jesus should be where we restore spiritually. But I find that Jesus uses the bush to do that for me. Isn't that interesting, this intricate kind of relationship? He does it through the things he's made. So the creation and our relationship to the creation. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let him have dominion. We may rule, but the idea is that we actually steward it. We don't dominate it. We steward it. Responsibility, not rapacity, is what's going on here. It's like we've been given dominion to care and steward someone else's estate It doesn't belong to us. It's ours to respectfully take care of. So the environment's God's. It's all his and it reflects his person and character and graciousness and provision and protection. And it feeds us, doesn't it? It feeds us physically, aesthetically, emotionally, spiritually. And it's been given to us to steward for God and our relationship with him and for our own benefit. Peculiarly, We love and embrace the creation, but often feel quietly disconnected, afraid of it, imbalanced, even threatened, 
How could that be? Why do I struggle with it and almost against it even though I want to care? Well, there's a reason. People were at one with each other and with the creation. There was no fear, no selfish ambition, no destructive hoarding or exploitation before we chose independence rather than interdependence on God. There was a harmony. But the results of our rebellious decision-making have proven to be catastrophic. Not only are our relationships conflicted with each other, they're conflicted in our response to God, what he's made, and our character, our charter, I should say, of stewardship. A broken relationship with God has flowed into a shattering of our relationship with the gift of his world to us. And the evidence is everywhere, isn't it? Hacking, polluting, poisoning, littering, consuming, degrading, overloading, overwhelming, greed, consumerism, war, lack of foresight or care, short-term advantage and convenience have all taken an immeasurable toll. It would be right, wouldn't it? You sort of seem it was right that we should feel a bit guilty about that, a bit ashamed of ourselves. But actually we don't, do we? We sort of don't, really. Why don't most of us engage with the severity and gravity and responsibility of our environmental disinterest? Why don't we engage with it? Well, I'd suggest it's because our broken relationship with our environment reflects a far more fundamental broken relationship, a broken relationship with God himself. We're given a planet to steward on God's behalf and we set about annihilating it. We're given a son to submit to who alone can restore and reintegrate us in relationship with God and we crucify him. Our problem with the environment is actually a sin problem. Our problem with God is a sin problem. We're separated. We're separated from the creation by the same thing that separates us from the creator and each other. And here's the thing. You or I or anybody else can't by trying do anything about it. It's broken. We want to do good, Paul said, but we don't. In fact, we do what we hate, a wretched man that I am who can save me from this body of death. If you don't care about the environment, it's a fall problem. It's a sin problem, fundamentally. Every problem, really, is a sin problem. And the problem with that is that I go around fixing sin problems and you go around fixing your sin problems by trying to fix it yourself. And ironically, trying to do it without God ignores the only true remedy. In fact, sin could be defined as trying to do it, whatever it is, without God. Think about it. You should care, but you don't care enough to change anything about yourself or your behaviour in any significant way. I stand here and say, this is God's world, it's very beautiful, you really should be doing a better job with it, so pull your socks up and try harder. Can you see what the problem is? 
you've made the remedy to sin, falling short, you fall short, something you have to try harder to do. So nothing changes because we can't save ourselves. So the motivation for change is often feel guilty. But guilt is a lousy motivator. In fact, someone described it recently as one of the idols. We walk I'm constantly guilty about everything. And as they said, idols are vicious things. They demand your blood, but don't save you. Someone came to me in our church, a man with a nice ironic sense of humour, and he said, I've worked out who Satan is at St Philip's. Well, my ears pricked up. I was very interested to know who Satan was at St Philip's. I said, really, who? He said, the plastic bag. (laughs) They had the impression that they'd be a better Christian and a better person if they had brought a bag to get their free lemons. And by by default, that the person who had brought their bag had been saved from sin by bringing one. My cheeky friend was using buckets of irony, but this is the cross that we who live in an information age carry, isn't it? Suddenly every decision we make becomes literally a a matter of the planet's life or death. From the flick of the switch that turns our lights on to the choice of the cotton T-shirt you may be wearing to the detergent you wash your clothes with to turning the key of the ignition in your car and to the steak you bought for dinner tonight, every tiny decision has contributed to the gigantic environmental problem we all face. I mean, if only we could stop cows farting. It's all sin and there's nowhere to run. Knowing the problem's insurmountable, we give up and we do nothing. It's actually a psychological thing, you know. It's called, in psychology, the optimism bias. The optimism bias. Humans have a tendency to think that they have a better than average chance of avoiding disaster. There's a thing. It's why scare tactics in advertising don't work. People ignore the message because they just don't believe it's going to happen to them. I want to suggest it's the same with trying to get people to care for the environment. People have a scientifically proven natural tendency to to assume that it's all going to be okay. So attribution of guilt does nothing, so don't do it. It's pointless. The other side of the same coin is this. So others in response to guilt work harder, try harder, and they're always a bit hand-wringy and achieving things remembering their bag, bringing their cup, saying no to the plastic straw, gives me the tick on saving the planet. And I get to look down on you hopeless folk who like hot showers and own two cars and don't like gardening and eat meat most days, but it doesn't do much if I look down on you, does it? 18 inches above reproach. Promoting guilt and self-righteousness won't save the planet. The real deal, though, there is a real deal, and it's not really about plastic bags or straws or anything else. It's about the heart. 
It's about the heart. Remember how people naturally go about remedying their, their falling short of the standard? They try harder. Fundamentally, this is not what the Christian faith calls the gospel. In fact, it's the opposite of the gospel. There's something very wrong, and this happens in churches all the time, in motivating Christian behaviour by fundamentally non-Christian means, apart from the fact that it doesn't work. We lost our relationship with the creation when we lost our relationship with God. Remember, it's in Jesus that the fullness of creation was pleased to dwell and God brings reconciliation, not by trying to fix the creation independently of God, but in our relationship with God, loving the creation and getting involved with God in creation. To restore our passion, to restore the environment, requires us to understand what God has already done to restore our relationship through Christ, for whom all things were created... And I love this, my favourite bit of the New Testament. In whom, Christ, in whom all things hold together. When Jesus takes his hand off it, which he will do at the end, it all flies apart. He has that much authority. The gospel is about believing and receiving what we have in Christ not trying harder. Now, I might be a bit, bit strange, but when I'm out in the bush following Cheryl, in those long periods where she's looking at things and I'm... <laughs> when that's happening, it's overwhelming to me how not about me the whole thing is. It's like I'm in a, a canopy in a theatre of God's majesty... It's just so, I become so irrelevant and small. And I, I discover it's all been done for me. <laughs> I didn't do any of it. All I do is receive the immeasurable gift and the grandeur and the majesty, the imagination of it all and the beauty. And the fact is that it's been gifted to me in that moment and it leads me to, to a kind of repentance and a gratitude and a worship, not of the creation, but of the creator who's gifted it to me. And I want to be a better person because of it, because of this, this gift. Environmental reconciliation and active restoration begins with Jesus for me. I want to be a better person because of him and his giftedness, to, his gift to me. In Colossians 1 verse 20, we discovered that through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself just here. It was Jesus' death paying the price for my relentless vandalism in all ways and my awareness of that that leads me to cry out, what have I done? What am I doing? I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Look, I was just surviving. I had no idea of the sacrifice you made to restore me and forgive me and adopt me and include me and gift me. So I look at what he's made 
and my attitude to it with new, more thoughtful, thankful and attentive eyes. No guilt, no self-righteousness, but thankfulness and love. Now, I don't want to refuse the plastic bag or cheap cotton T-shirt because it makes me feel righteous or less guilty. I want to do it because Jesus is the giver of gifts, starting with himself. I want to become more like him. No should or ought or need because I'm loved by him and I love him in return and I want to honour him and I want to celebrate life with him and I want to receive his love and I want him to be the saviour and recreator of my life in this world. In 2 Corinthians, we see that Jesus died. We even see it in the majesty of creation. Oops. In 2 Corinthians, it says he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. So if you're going to act, it won't be about guilt, it won't be about self-righteousness, It'll be about remembering and reminding yourself of the source of your love and joy, the creator and saviour, Jesus. Recycling is good and even godly with the right motivation. But it's actually not going to save the world from destruction. Ultimately, these things will pass away, the Bible teaches. We live in an era where Jesus has come, he's coming and he will come. And we live in this tense place between the victory and the mopping up operation. But Jesus' truth transforms us this morning from doing it because I should or I ought or I need to doing it because I'm loved. And when it starts with Jesus, we participate in his rule and his reign coming. That's why we're doing it. We're bringing him. Christians are distinguished by Jesus and our relationship with things, our care for things ought to be defined by him. If I give God the glory, he's in the right place. If I just honour the creation and not the creator, I miss the revelation of his character and majesty and Romans 1 teaches us I become futile in my thinking and I make everything about me. So here's the question. Who does your behaviour point to? Who does my behaviour point to? I'll leave you with it.